0: This is the Elevate Student Ministry podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. So, Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith, um, it's its nickname. Because it's full of people, um, like, like the Sports Hall of Fame, it's full of faithful, faithful people and the stories of how um, they pleased God through their faithfulness. Last, uh, last time you heard me preach was two weeks ago, and we had a much smaller crowd then, but I preached on Noah and how we could see faith through head and heart belief that is expressed through your hands, so head, heart, hands. But anyway, we're back at it, and we will be talking about Abraham. Who knows who Abraham is? Raise your hand. We've got a few. Okay, well, whether you know him well or you don't know him well, Abraham was a very, very influential and important part of biblical history. He was like the the first guy that God said, you're it, man. I'm taking you, and through you, will be the covenants, the people. I'm gonna build my nation through you. You're gonna be my guy. And then everybody throughout history after that pointed back and said, do you remember Abraham's faith? That guy was awesome. This is one of the heroes. So last week I was working and my boss decides that he wants to Uh, Level off his backyard, and if you've ever leveled off a backyard, you know that it requires a lot of dirt. When the ground is unlevel, it pools water in the middle of your yard, and it really sucks. But if you've got a lot of dirt, and a young guy who's willing to shovel that dirt, then you can level off your backyard. So we're shoveling dirt out of a trailer, wheelbarrow to the backyard, and his neighbor comes by. And he comes by with a shovel, and I'm like, okay, great. I really like this, because you get to help us dig And we get to talking as we're digging, and he's explaining his version of how he lives the Christian life. And if you are a Christian, or if you're becoming a Christian, you know that faith is central to the Christian life. Now, all the things he explained, from his drinking habits to the words he speaks to um, his frequency with which he goes to church, all these things did not line up with the Christian life. But then he said this. He said, But I have faith. Hmm. Strange. I didn't realize that faith was invisible. Because according to everything else that he had told me, I'm not seeing faith. I'm seeing a life that you live however you want, I'm not seeing obedience to God. So our main point is, if you're taking notes, I'm sorry I don't have um, slides. Our main point is what you have faith in is invisible. What you have faith in is invisible. But your faith is not invisible. Okay. Two things that helped me in my study were home and family. We'll be looking at what Abraham had faith in. He had faith in the promises of God that God would give him a home and a family. Our main text, Hebrews 11, 8 through 12, and then 17 through 19. All right, I hope you're there. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him, God, faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Jumping ahead to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, his son, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able, even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That's a lot, and we'll get into it. But diving into our first point, Abraham had faith that God would give him a home. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham had no clue where he was going. God just said, hey, I'm gonna give you land. Get out of here. So he picked up himself, picked up his things, grabbed a tent, and went to live in the wilderness. Verse nine, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise. But he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham walked to his land that God told him to go to. And when he gets there, this wasn't just uninhabited desert, though it was ridiculously hot. There were people living there already. So this land which God has said, hey, this is going to be yours. You're going to have all of this. He's living in as though it's not his He's living in a tent. He's basically homeless. There are other cities and nations here in this land. It'd be like God telling you, pack up your things right now, um, get maybe a camper or a a nice tent or something, move to Canada. And then when you get to Canada, uh, eventually I'm gonna give you that land, Canada. It's gonna be yours. And, you know, all your descendants will have it. You know, I'll, I'll drive out the Canadians um, and it'll be your land. So you, being a faithful person who hears God's voice, would pick up your stuff and get out of here, right? It, if you heard the voice of God tell you, Chevy, Chevy pick up your things and move to Canada. Would you move to Canada? Raise your hand if you would move to Canada. Heard the voice of God. Right. Okay. So if you heard the voice of God, you would obey. Is that, what we're, is that the conclusion? What if you were told women should adorn themselves in respectable a parable with modesty? What if you were told Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. What if you were told, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies? You know they only breed quarrels. Well, here's the big one. What if you were told, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them? to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Do you think you're as faithful as you thought? Because the voice of God through scripture says all of these things, but how often are we so unwilling to do them? I want to clarify what this series is about. This is not me coming to you guys and saying, Good job for your faith. Because unfortunately, we've got to stop and realize that the vast majority of the people in this room haven't got much faith at all. I'm not saying that you're all unsaved, because I'm I don't doubt the salvation of many of you, but I am saying that it's a good possibility. And that you need to be very careful and pay very close attention because if it's only by faith that you're going to step into heaven's gates, then you better be sure you've got faith. I'll stop being pointy though and we'll get to the hopeful side of all this soon. I want you to recognize though that it is for great purpose that I'm here talking to you about the faith of men like Abraham and Noah and all these other characters that we'll talk about because God was pleased with them he saw their faith and their obedience, and he said, I'm gonna count that as righteousness. Come into my kingdom. They're in heaven. And if we want to follow them, if we want to be in heaven as well, we will only be done by following in the footsteps of their faithfulness. So let's learn faithfulness from them. Let's get back into it. Abraham had faith greater than our faith, even though he never had the scriptures. He would go, he, he had a greater faith than our faith, and God would only talk to him like once every few years. And immediately, when, when God's like, Abraham, I need you to do Yes, Lord, what can I do for you? Immediately, here, here I am, what, what can I do for you? Immediately did it. Even to the point where whenever God says, pack up your things and get out of here, you're gonna go live in the desert in a tent. He did it. But that's That's ridiculous, but he had faith. He trusted God's promise. And this brings us to home, because he trusted God's promise, but what was the promise of? Verse 10 says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, God promised Abraham a couple of things that took him <clears throat> and that when he took him out of the nation he was living in he would get these things he would get land and he would get a family he would get a, a, an entire country's worth of land and he would get descendants and descendants and descendants for thousands of years See a- Abraham like we're 2,000 years on the other side of Christ Abraham was 2,000 years on that side of Christ does that make sense? It's like Noah, a couple generations, boom, Abraham's there. And then for thousands of years, we see God's faithfulness in the nation of Israel being established. God promised Abraham a couple of things, those two things. And through those two things, he promised that he would bless the nations of the world. That's proven in Genesis. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Leave everything behind. Chevy, focus. And I will make you... A great nation and bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I just saw you giggling, man. But don't, don't shoot my eyes at me. When we hear all of that, we hear the blessings that would come through these things that would be given to Abraham. What do we expect? Immediately we're like, okay, if God's saying he's gonna do all this stuff, then it's gonna it's gonna be there in Abraham's life. We open the book, it's gonna be there, right? Abraham left his home and lived in the middle of nowhere as he was rapidly aging with his old hopeless childless wife and he didn't actually own any of the land that he was living on he was truly a homeless squatter like he didn't have anything this doesn't line up you would immediately think he's going to get stuff but he never does Did he ever get to see his city that it talks about in, uh, in verse 10? No. Did he at least buy any of the land? Yeah, he bought some land. Only enough for a grave for himself and for his wife. Abraham, why don't we see Abraham owning a ton of land and a ton of kids? That would make sense. That, okay, God says I'm going to bless you and then poof. No, why do we see Abraham have a difficult life as a pilgrim in a foreign desert? Because Abraham represents us. Because the Christian life is a pilgrimage much in the same way that Abraham's life was a pilgrimage. He recognized, God, your promises are true. God, I'm gonna see this land that you promised me. But right now, if I'm not getting it, that doesn't make that any less true. I'm gonna keep walking through this land, living in my tent, going through various trials, and just trust that you'll be faithful. That's our life. The hymn writer gets it well. He says, while we walk the pilgrim way, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. Jesus. Will sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Abraham's life of waiting for his home and never quite finding it on earth is just like our life, where we're we're stuck here in this sinful world, but our home isn't here. Our home is in heaven. That's why we're hopeful even in trials because we recognize that our salvation is sure, that we will eventually get to heaven. We're pilgrims too. We don't belong here. We belong to the heavenly city that God has designed. The promise that we hope for is Christ's salvation. That's what we have faith in. We see now that Faith of, the faith of Abraham and the life of Abraham are quite similar to that of a true believer. So we can look to Abraham as a model for how we are to walk out our life. We can emulate him. We see his faithful obedience and his belief, and we go for that. In everything God told Abraham to do, he was obedient. Sometimes he was really stupid. Those, there, were, there were years where God didn't say anything to him, and he just decided sometimes, you know what, I'll try and fill in the gaps and do whatever I want. And it didn't work. It's the same way with us. We will do stupid things. doesn't change the fact that God is faithful or that he takes us out of our stupidity and brings us back to a reminder of his promise. Maybe tonight's one of those nights where he says, hey, you've been living kind of stupid. I need to remind you that you should have faith in me. You should be obedient to me because I love you and I've promised things to you. So, what do we do with that? We see now that the faith of Abraham, the life of Abraham, quite similar to ours, he exemplifies faithful obedience. How are we going to be faithful and obedient? Let's go back to how I was being kind of pointy earlier, and hopefully we can put some conviction to use in our lives. Have you ever heard the expression, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good? Nope. Oh, we've got a taker. All right, thanks, bro. Okay, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. He's so focused on heaven, he's so self-righteous, he doesn't, he's worth no good here. There's an opposite phrase. He's so earthly minded, he's no heavenly good. Where you're so focused on this world and the trials here and the sins here and the things you want to pursue here that you've got no focus on heaven. It was only Abraham's focus on heaven, focus on the promises that kept him any earthly good. Earlier, I mentioned a lot of things that are expected to be done in the life of a Christian because they're made clear in Scripture. Among them were dressing with modesty, putting away foolishness, avoiding crude sexual jokes, and spreading the gospel. These are just a few of the things that Christians do. Now, each of these must be fought for among many other things, but our culture really fights against that. Let's look at modesty. 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 Um, wait, lost my place. Sorry, you guys. Come on now. Our culture looks down on modesty, and both men and women are tempted to dress and to, po- to post in very, very immodest ways. Men in this room, let the amount of skin you show here, at school, anywhere, especially on social media, reflect your reverence for Christ. Women in this room, let the amount of skin you show again, here, school, anywhere, especially social media, reflect your reverence for Christ. Let that reflect your faith because we're called to be obedient. And that's one of the things that we're called to be obedient to. Men, dress to protect your sisters. Sisters, dress to protect your brothers. I won't stop off on that for too long. I'm just trying to make my point clear. That's one of the ways that, that we show our faithful obedience that we abide by, what scripture says, especially in those areas. So to summarize that, I, I don't belong here. I have faith in God's promises and I am waiting to go home to the place God has designed for me. In the meantime, I'll wait here and be obedient to God's word. In doing so, I will prove myself to be Faithful. That's something that every Christian should live by. That's something that Abraham was also able to live by. I don't belong here. I have faith in God's promises. I am waiting to go to the place God has designed for me. In the meantime, I'll wait here and be obedient to God's word. In doing so, I'll prove myself to be faithful. We've looked at the promise of Abraham's home. We've looked at how he was obedient. Because of that promise. Now let's jump to our second point. Abraham had faith that God would give him a family. Let's read our next portion of Scripture. If you look at verse 11 through 12, I'm just realizing that your whole row is Bibleless, at least for the most part. No, whatever. Okay, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And we start to see the way that God is unfolding his promise to give a family through this one little conception of a boy named Isaac. Let's think about Isaac for a second. This is Abraham's only baby boy through Sarah, his wife. Now, when God said, I'm going to give you descendants as many as, as many as the stars, as many as the sand, it was going to be through his wife, Sarah, because that was his only wife. Now, he also had servants. And at one ridiculous moment of him being stupid, he had a baby with a servant. Not allowed. Bad. Bad. But this boy, Isaac, was the child of the promise. This was the one that God looked at and said, that's the boy, that's the boy that I'm gonna give you descendants through, which meant everything to Abraham because it was God's promise that was so special to him. But whereas he never had land to look to, he never really had a place where he could stand and be like, ah, my land, the place where I look and I see God's promises everywhere. Because he's blessed me with this. No, he never had that. But what he did have was one son that God would use. The boy quickly became a man. And this this was the promise of God that Abraham was able to look to, talk to, hug, laugh with, play with. Undoubtedly, this boy was the greatest joy of Abraham's life. Most importantly, us in our study, though, this boy represents our Lord Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 22. I'll give you just a moment to get there. While you're turning, since we're talking about the faithful obedience of Abraham, uh, there's some things that you should know before we read this passage. So first of all, Abraham, three times in this passage, says, here I am. Here I am. That's not saying like, Here I am in the front of the room standing behind the podium. No. It's yes. It's what what can I do for you? It's the exact opposite of what? Or come on, spit it out. I just spit. That's kind of funny. It's the exact opposite of rudely telling your mom, what, mom? It's here I am. It's obedience verbally. I'm here to do anything for you. Now, keep that in mind, obedience. And then, as we're also looking, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus in everything. Isaac represents Jesus in this story. So especially whenever we talk about Isaac, think Christ. Think of Abraham presenting himself obedient. And also think of Abraham's love for his son. Now, are some of us there? Cool, cool. Okay. After these things, verse one, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham looked, uh, sorry, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. We're gonna stop right there for a minute. I know that immediately there are some questions. Like, why did God want Abraham to kill his son? A burnt offering, that's like you cut the throat of an animal, put them on a fire, and then burn them. That's insane. Why, why on earth would God tell someone to do that to their child? especially such an important child. You have to recognize that this is about something bigger than just this one point in history. This is about Jesus. So whenever we come to things and we say, this doesn't make any sense, God would never do that. Open your eyes a little bit wider because you're looking at God doing something intentional. God never breaks his character. This is for a reason. If it helps, God is painting a picture of what his son would do, and he's painting it in great detail. And he's using real people to do that. Let's look at verse two. God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey. And took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. Abraham, if you know Abraham a little bit, which oh yeah, I mentioned this earlier. He's got two sons, not one. So why does God say, Take your son, your only son, Isaac? That doesn't make any sense. God's wrong. And so what we see here is, oh, God's wrong, and oh, God just likes to kill children now for some reason. No. Remember, this is about Jesus. So when he says, take your son, your only son, it's because already he's drawing lines straight from Isaac for 2,000 years to, to Jesus. The parallels are already beginning. This is his one legitimate son with his wife, the son of the promise, So he says, take your son, your only son. And this mountain that they go to is the same place where a few thousand years later, Jerusalem would be built. Who knows what Jerusalem is? That's the place where our Lord died. It's the place where he was killed. Important details in this story that point directly to Christ. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. As they journeyed, they were three days away, and Abraham looked ahead and could see the mountain where his beloved son would be killed, where he would have to slit his throat and then burn him. And for three days, his son was as good as dead. Just like for three days, our Lord was dead. So much symbolism tying directly to our Lord. So long before our Lord. Verse six, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. So they arrived at the base of the mountain they're looking up to the peak and he, he takes all the wood for the fire which would be how he would burn. He'd put it on his back. He said, okay, let's walk, my son. Just like our Lord carried that wooden cross on his back all the way up maybe the same hill. What about Abraham. Abraham carried the knife and the fire constantly throughout the scriptures. Death and fire represent God's wrath and judgment. So as the son was walking up the hill with the cross, our Lord walked up the hill. God went up there with him, carrying the wrath. Abraham walked alongside his son, carrying the wrath. Do you see this? It's beautiful. It's purposeful. The knife and the fire represent the wrath of God, which would consume our Lord like fire and would put our Savior to death. Let's continue reading. We're gonna jump across to the other half where we get to see what happens. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Look at that, the, the faithful obedience even to his son, this loving, here I am, my son. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand And took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, don't lay a finger, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from Me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. And it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. How beautiful. Let's look at that first, verse seven and eight. My father, he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Isaac was no fool. He wasn't a fool. He had seen this before. Him and his father had offered sacrifices before and he knew there were things you needed. You needed a knife, you need wood for a fire. You need a lamb for killing. Where's the lamb? And as they're trekking up this mountain, he had to have realized, it's me. And he had an option. He could have run down the mountain. But he kept walking all the way to the top. He knew that somehow God would bring Oh Abraham, Abraham was faithful and he knew that somehow God would provide, he knew that somehow God would provide resurrection to his son. He was willing to kill his son because he was told to, but he knew that God was good. and He knew that God would provide resurrection. What he didn't realize was that it wouldn't quite be resurrection. It would be substitution. A substitution is a very beautiful word. I need you to log that away. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The climax of the story, Abraham is going to fulfill the task that he came up this mountain for with his son. He makes an altar out of rocks, this is customary for a burnt offering you you build, you build together these rocks, you put your wood, you put your sacrifice, and you burn it. But then it says he he binds his son. Now evidence tells us that his son was not a boy. his son was a young man, like some of us. He was not at a hundred and something years old going to overpower his son. He did not trick him into this, he did not force him into this. The son laid down his life willingly in obedience to the father. Isaac said, here, and let himself be tied up and laid on that wood. In no way was Abraham going to overpower Isaac. This is just like our Lord laying down his life willingly and in obedience to the father. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am, still looking to be obedient. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind it was a ram. He took that ram. He killed it instead of his son and burned it instead of burning his son. See, the final two ways we see Jesus are in this angel of the Lord, angel of the Lord, and in this ram. See, but it's a little confusing though because this whole time Isaac has been the representative of of Jesus in this story. No? Yes. So, Why wouldn't Isaac die and then be brought back to life? That makes sense, because that's what Jesus did. But we've got to realize that Isaac didn't just represent Jesus. He represented us. He represents sinful humanity because he is sinful and because he is human. He represents us. So Ephesians 2, you don't have to turn there. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Remember, we talked about that boy was as good as dead for those three days on that journey. You could Abraham looking at him was like he's a dead kid walking. He represents us because we are dead men walking before we're saved. Isaac was never going to be offered as a sacrifice because he was sinful man. If you know anything about God and his holiness, God can't accept a sinful sacrifice. He can only accept a pure sacrifice. So his plan was never to kill this boy who is man. Now the other reason that he was never going to kill this boy is because God is the same always and he does not accept child sacrifice. As a matter of fact, He wipes out nations, like crushing a bug with his thumb, nations that would sacrifice babies. That's not God. He was never going to kill Isaac. So you see, it's not that confusing, really. He wasn't going to kill Isaac because Isaac was not sufficient and because that's not his character. But that's where this ram comes into play because he did say There had to be a death. So if there's got to be a death and it can't be Isaac, then what's going to happen? God provides it. This ram that was not there before, but all of a sudden, boom, a ram. Jesus is the ram. Jesus is not special. The reason it had to be a ram was because it had to substitute Isaac. Now, Jesus is not special because he died. Jesus is special because he died as a substitute for us. So if God was going to clearly show the substitution, the substitutionary work of his son, the beauty of Jesus stepping into our place, then in this story, as he's painting that, he's got to show a substitution. So then in comes the ram who steps into Isaac's place. Now it's all amazing at this point, but it gets even crazier. Because the second way that we see the um, that we see Jesus here is the angel of the Lord. Now, Jesus isn't in the Old Testament, right? We don't see Jesus in the Old Testament. But we do. Sometimes there is what's called a Christophany. Which is an appearing of God the Son in Old Testament scripture. Because God is three in one. He's always been three in one for eternity. So the Son is there. You've just got to be paying attention and looking for Him. See, whenever the angel of the Lord is talking, he says, um, right here in verse, <clears throat> oh, I know that you fear God. Okay, an angel would say that. he say, I know that you fear God. It's just an angel talking, right? But then he says, oh shoot, here we go. I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. He doesn't say your son, your only son from God. He speaks as if he were God because this is an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's beautiful. If you want to talk about it more later, go on. I'll come come to the front. Okay, but moving on. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. What is he doing? He's doing exactly what Jesus always does. He intercedes and intervenes on behalf of sinful man. He brings in a substitution. Exactly what Jesus did at the cross is exactly what he's doing right here in this story, where he's stepping in and saying, stop it. Let me provide where you cannot provide. Isaac was about to die. No, here's the ram. He comes in and he provides substitution. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve death. He hangs on the cross and says, no, I am substitution. It's this big game of hot potato. It's like, you represent Jesus. No, 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 I represent Jesus. And then those that are over here, you represent. Where it's Isaac, and then it's the ram, and then it's the angel of the Lord. And it's just this beautiful picture It all points to Christ. You can breathe now. Just to clarify, Isaac, whose descendant is Jesus our Lord, represents Jesus in the story. Obedient on his way to Calvary, to pay for our sins. The father's wrath poured out on Jesus on the cross is represented by Abraham's knife and the fire he carried. The intervening and interceding work of our Lord when he substituted himself for us is represented by God, the son, appearing on the scene and providing a ram to die in Isaac's place. That's so much, so beautiful. God laid it out. But why? Why? I mean it's great, but why is it necessary? Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. I should have told you to keep your finger there, I'm sorry. Oh, she did. Awesome. Reading. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And Abraham, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, Abraham did receive him back. Abraham proved himself faithful to God. He had faith that God's promises were true and that God never contradicts himself. Abraham believed that there was nothing that could be done to change the fact that God promised him a family and descendants through Isaac. He didn't realize it, but we can see it plainly that what he was having faith in was Jesus Christ. And so it's counted to him as righteousness. So, why? Why show all of those things in that story? Why test him in those very, very specific ways? To show that his faith wasn't just, I've got faith kind of faith. It was faith in Christ. Faith in the promise was faith in Christ. Not only did Abraham show himself faithful, but God showed himself faithful. What a reassurance. We serve a God who doesn't just expect faithfulness, but he deals in faithfulness. He divvies out faithfulness. He will always be faithful so that he expects from us the same thing that he's willing to give to us. That fact of God's faithfulness, it strengthened Abraham's faith and it serves to strengthen our faith as well. So what do we do with this? I'm sorry. What do we do with this information? How can we emulate Abraham in this? Well, are you willing to sacrifice those things that are most important to you? Because when God called Abraham to the carpet and said, you're gonna sacrifice your son, he, he just did it. When you look back at the scriptures, it doesn't even say that he asked any questions. It just said he rose early the next morning. Are you willing to be faithful, to be obedient? That's how we can be emulators. That's how we can be imitators of Abraham. Think back to those things I mentioned earlier. Are you you foolish? Are you immodest? Are you unable to control your mouth around others? and you you wind up just saying things that you know you shouldn't? Or is it difficult to control your mouth to to say the gospel? Is it difficult to, to, to get out the truth that you know you're supposed to be saying? Is it difficult to do those things? Let your life be an outpouring of the genuineness of your faith, or it will be a clear sign of your lack of faith. So if we're gonna... Imitate Abraham if we're going to show ourselves obedient because of our faith. And these are the things that we're going to work on. We're going to preach the gospel. When people ask, whenever we're confronted, we're not going to shrink. We're going to say what we believe because we believe it very strongly. Because the promises are deep in our heart because we recognize it is our duty. Does Abraham seem to trust God's substitutionary work better than we do even though we're better acquainted with the gospel than he was Don't be discouraged Ask God for faith If you feel if if in all of this you feel discouraged because of a lack of faith God gives faith to those who ask he says Ephesians For by grace you've been saved through faith this is not your own doing it's The gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is what God requires, and faith is a gift from God. So if you don't have it, or if you need more of it, ask for it, because our God is gracious and He gives it. Recap God promised Abraham the land, sorry, God promised Abraham a land, a city that God himself would establish. And although Abraham never got to see this home of his, he had faith that God would provide it. And so he lived as a pilgrim in this world, looking to the next, looking forward to a city that he would obtain from God. He didn't call this place his home, but he looked to his real home. We must do the same because as Christians, we're pilgrims as well. And heaven is our home. We just pass through here obediently. God promised Abraham a family, and then tested Abraham's faith by threatening to take away the one man who all of Abraham's descendants would come through. God foretells his son's great work, and Abraham shows his great faith in God. We must sacrifice our own desires and pray that God would supply us with the kind of steadfast faith that we hear of in the Bible. We place our faith in the promise of Christ and his all-sufficient substitutionary work on the cross. What you have faith in is invisible, but your faith is not invisible. If you look at yourself and you look at Abraham and your faith is invisible, if you look at your works and your faith is invisible, pray, pray to God for faith because he gives it graciously. He wants to give you faith. I'll end on these words uh, from our Lord in Revelation. Revelation 2, 19 says, I know your works, your love, your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. God's saying, "I, I, I see the faithful obedience. I see your life that lives for me. Skipping ahead to the third chapter, talking about a different group of people, he says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Does our Lord recognize you by your faith? Does He recognize your faith when He sees you? Do you either refresh him like cold water, or warm him like hot water, hot water? Or is your faith invisible? Does your lukewarm temperature disgust our Lord? The faith of that man I was shoveling dirt with was lukewarm faith. It displeases our Lord when we're not obedient, whenever we don't show our faith and our love for him. If your faith is genuine, then be encouraged, but if not, then repent. Our Lord is waiting for you to repent. Repent of your lukewarm lack of faith. Strengthen your belief. Turn to him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for faith. I thank you that you show us clearly in your word what it is, what it looks like, and God, how we can receive it from you. I pray that you would strengthen the faith of of everyone who heard this tonight. God, that they would be obedient and not begrudgingly. God, looking to your kingdom with great joy, with steadfast obedience, pushing on towards it. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this night. Amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.